0: so what do you think a podcast where we discuss weird and unsolved mysteries and events and give you a completely unprofessional opinion on them I'm Jay and with me here is B. hello so tonight we've got a bit of a creepy case I would have been creeped out anyway if it happened to me now there was recently last year a show on Netflix called The Watcher did you watch it did you see it
1: no, you know that I don't have the mental ability to commit to any new series or movies. Okay, all right. What you know great... that. Come on.
0: Sorry, I thought that you know you might have just on the off chance because no, going...
1: I heard about it. Yeah, but didn't absorb too much about it. I'm sure that when you refresh my memory, I'll be like, I yeah. know the backstory.
0: Well, it's based on a true story of Maria and Derek Broadus, who, along with their family, bought this absolutely gorgeous mansion in New Jersey. Now, they bought this place. It's their dream place. They were kind of moving out of the city. It was amazing. But pretty much immediately, they began receiving weird letters from someone who called themselves the Watcher. Now, the letters were super creepy and said that the person's family had been watching the house since the 20s and said that they were glad that they had finally filled the home with young blood. I mean, just using the words young blood is enough to creep me out, really. <laughs> Again. They got a, a lot of these letters and ended up moving out eventually and never actually found out who sent them. So it's a creepy story, and the series was actually pretty good. But this isn't the story we are talking about today. So it <laughs> <there> is one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was just <laughs> starting to, um, yeah, get excited. <laughs> well, the the story that The Watcher was based on didn't happen that long ago. Like, it was only in the 2010s, I think. So it's quite st- quite recent but the story we're talking about tonight is a similar thing that happened in the 70s in a place called Circleville Ohio and the letters were a bit more personal and a lot more sinister so to me it's a bit more of an interesting story so what would you think if you moved into a house and started getting random letters
1: well unfortunately we have a rental crisis so I can't move.
0: Yes, okay, imagine you're in the 70s. <laughs> would you move? Like if you started getting sort of threatening letters and things that made you feel really uncomfortable, would you move or would you just kind of like ignore it? I
1: feel like in these stories people are way too casual about this sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess in the like, movie you want it to be dramatic, don't you?
1: And what it's the same as when we've done the haunted houses, the possessed mm. houses, all these sorts of things. No, yeah. get the fuck out. There's obviously some bad juju in this place. Get out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's certainly very disconcerting. I would probably, I don't know, I feel like I would probably go into, like, full investigation mode, right? Um, I'd just need to work it out. I'd need to find out who did it. So, I mean, it's very scary if you've got kids, though, especially if they mention the kids and what have you. So let's get into the story. So unlike the New Jersey letters in the Watcher case, the Circleville letters did not just center on one family. A number of houses received them and they were threatening in the sense that it was someone who was threatening to expose personal secrets, kind of like an old school gossip girl, you know, like, if you don't do this, I'm going to tell people what you did, that sort of thing.
1: Now, have uh, never watched many,
0: that show I've sure. never watched it but I only know what it's about because people talk about it so I'm yeah not and it. there's like the
1: memes and stuff yeah exactly. See, this is the thing I don't need to engage in new tv series or movies or whatever because <laughs> I just see the memes and that tells me everything I need to know yeah exactly that's the same enough. as the news I don't need to know what's going on in the world The memes. you don't want to know actually I don't either
0: So, lots of people received these letters, but the most sinister case involved the Gillespie family. Now, the first letter was received by Mary Gillespie, who was a local bus driver. The letter accused Mary of having an affair with Gordon Massey, the local school superintendent. Now, Mary denied the affair and said that she had no idea what these letters were talking about. But the writer was persistent. More letters came saying that they were watching the house and her children. Mary's husband, Ron, soon got his own letter saying that he'd better stop the affair or else. Another letter said that, said that Ron would be killed if he didn't report Gordon to the local school board. One of the letters said, Gillespie, you have had two weeks and have done nothing. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on, on posters, signs and billboards until the truth comes out another letter urged Ron to kill them both so I don't know what are your thoughts so far I mean to me it sounds like this is someone like I'd be looking at the the wife of the superintendent maybe like someone who really wants this affair to stop if it actually is an affair
1: yeah you'd be looking at the wife first
0: yeah right like i'd be thinking does gordon have a wife does he have kids does he have adult kids you know that could but is be
1: gordon married? also receiving these things i hate it when it's like the mistress is yeah the only one at fault yeah the yeah. only one at fault no fuck off yeah
0: Gordon is
1: not well i know right fuck gordon
0: <laughs> screw him
1: yeah <laughs> exactly
0: so, yeah, I'd be looking sort of at Gordon first and he's, he's very close in a circle, seeing what's going on
1: there. It also could be Gordon as well, his way of getting out of it, guilt-free.
0: Yeah. Well, Mary denied, though. They both, Gordon and Mary were both like, we have no idea what this is talking about. We're actually not having an affair. But, of course, they would say that. Mary did have her own theory. Um, a guy that she worked with named David Longberry had been making passes at her in the office and she had rejected him. He'd not taken this very, very well, and he was still really salty about it. I mean, she's married, for, for, for God's sakes, mate. Like, piss off. Oh, why won't you have an affair with me? Um, Go Life away. Man. Yeah, I know. 70s men, right?
1: The 70s were a different time. Um, it was, although I find it strange because, I don't know, I feel like it was the norm. It was accepted for men to cheat on their wives, but the wives were expected to be... Oh. Yeah. True. Gender dynamics. So. gender off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dynam- I if I want to cheat, I'll cheat. That's not true. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but, yeah. But I, if I want to, I will. If I wanted to, I should be allowed to, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So
0: Mary thought that it could possibly be this guy. Now, the Gillespie's only told three people about the letters. They told Ron's sister and her husband, um which were Karen and Paul, and also they told Paul's sister. So otherwise no one else knew about it. Paul decided to do the best thing he could do, and he wrote David a letter. So once Mary was like, there is this mofo at work. He keeps hitting on me. He won't take no for an answer. I reckon it's him. David's like, right, I'm going to write him a letter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sort sorted out, you know. All <laughs> Yeah. So the letter basically called him out and said, hey, man, we know that you—that it's you, so stop or we're going to take things further. Now, this seemed to actually do the trick because there were no letters for a couple of weeks after this. And I guess it it was like, okay, Creepo was David, it's sorted out, time to move on now. Imagine Mary going to work after that. Awkward. Yeah. (laughs) My God, I'd quit my job, I reckon. So everything seems to go back to normal until August 19th, 1977, when Ron gets a phone call. Now, we don't know who the caller was, although I think that we can probably assume that it was the letter writer. We don't know what exactly was said, but Ron is mad when he gets off the phone. He is pissed. He goes, grabs his gun and says that he's going to go see the letter writer and sort them out once and for all. So he just takes off with his gun. Now, a few hours later, Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe calls in a car crash and Ron Gillespie is dead inside. He had fired his gun at one stage, but he himself was not actually shot. He had actually died as a result of driving into a tree. Now, strangely, Sheriff Radcliffe declared that the crash had been a complete drunk driving accident, nothing to see here at all. All of Ron's family and friends said Ron was not a drinker and he definitely had not been drinking that day. So this is odd. All of a sudden we've got a bit of sheriff dodginess here. I don't know. What do you reckon about this?
1: I hate it when there's sheriff dodginess.
0: Yeah, don't interject in shit, man. Like just because you don't want to do some paperwork or a murder investigation, don't just fob shit off. Do
1: your job. Be better.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's it. So I mean, then we've got questions like was this just a lazy sheriff or was this a cover-off of some sort like was the sheriff involved or knew the person that was involved maybe blood alcohol was tested and it was 0.16 so you know that would change the narrative because he would have had to have had to stop and drink on the way and a fair amount of alcohol too 0.16 is quite a good level of alcohol you know you'd be quite drunk if you were had that level so not only did he storm out of the house not having drank at all that day and he wasn't a drinker but he goes and he stops along the way and drinks a shit ton and then gets in the car and goes and has a crash like it kind of changes things when you think about it that way I don't know it just yeah I don't know it makes it a lot more weird mm. The another interesting thing was that the sheriff said that he did consider foul play at first but that the person that he thought might be involved. Took a polygraph and passed it, so he ruled it out. Now there's no information at all on who this other person was or how they were involved or anything like that. But apparently the sheriff had an idea of who it could be at first. But again, polygraph. I mean, we we know that polygraphs are not an exact science. Just because he passed it doesn't really mean anything. But interesting. I would love to know who that person was. You know. If I had to guess, I'd say that Mary could have told the sheriff about the writer and how she thought that maybe it was David. So maybe it was David that took the polygraph and they looked at him. So I guess, like, you've got to start to think, like, how do we put this narrative together? So he gets a call, goes off, drinks a lot, even though he's not a drinker, fires his gun at someone, crashes his car into a tree. I mean, I'm just not sure how that all works. I can't really put that together in my brain. You know, he was out. He was
1: alcohol. (laughs)
0: Yes, that's it. You've solved it.
1: (laughs) That's how I. Because he wasn't drugged. He was alcohol. (laughs) He was alcohol. You know what I'm trying to say? He was drunk. (laughs) No, as if someone made him drink the alcohol. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) It was forced ingestion. Okay, not like, but how do you say that? Because if someone was drugged, you'd say they were drugged. If someone was force-fed alcohol, you'd say they were alcoholed. Okay, all right. Well, that's my new word for going forwards now
0: for that. The technical term, because <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Lauren. Oh, my God. <laughs> how can you not have gotten through it all yet?
1: Jeez. Because I started it again because oh I love God. it. Oh, my God. I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> okay, this is how bad it is. So I went to my last psychology appointment for the year. We can keep this in, in the podcast. I don't care. People can know that I'm seeing a psychologist. Um, and I talked about Laurenauta SVU and my psych appointment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's when the little box was ticked.
1: <laughs> and now that I think back, I feel like she aggressively started writing on her notepad.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Patient, patient feels that they are living in an episode of SVU. <laughs> Delusions tick.
1: <laughs> Just, um, got a weird obsession with Detective Stabler and Detective Benson. Uh, okay. um, oh, now I forgot why I was bringing it up. No, no because in Law and Order SVU, I've seen episodes. <laughs> i can't even say this without laughing because i sound insane um where they someone has been like forced alcohol to appear so as to appear that they were drunk when something happened Uh, okay so you know like they were kidnapped or whatever and then like oh the cops won't believe her because she had a she you know had a blood alcohol level of this when really at the time of the incident they had not been drinking Okay, interesting. So it does happen. I sort of get this idea of like him
0: hearing from someone who he's pissed off with and he goes and confronts them and like maybe even fires his gun at them and he's all pissed off, but he's not like a violent guy that's going to have a physical altercation with someone. So he's like angry when he leaves and he goes to the pub and drinks a lot about it, you know, or something like that. You're really thinking about it. Yeah, well, I think that's probably a little bit more realistic than being alcohol. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, or was the gun shot, can they establish if it was shot in the car? Oh, that's a good question. Did they establish that at all? Because no, in my mind, that. he was shooting at someone and then hit the tree. Yeah, well, that's kind of where my brain went to start with. Yeah. so Therefore, he would have had to have left and then left. Left? He left. <laughs> and he hit the tree. Left. What the heck? He left and um, <laughs> maybe he went looking for someone and couldn't find him and then he went to drink. Maybe, maybe. And then he left again and then found them and shot at them and then hit the tree because he wasn't concentrating and he was intoxicated.
0: Entirely possible. All of these situations are entirely possible, for sure. Now, the other person that was confused and a bit pissed off about the managing of the whole thing was actually the writer because as soon he soon started sending out letters to many Circleville oh. residents, and these letters said that Sheriff Radcliffe was orchestrating a cover-up in regards to Ron's death. So the letter writer was pissed about it as well. After Ron's death, Mary did start a relationship with Gordon Massey, the guy that she'd been accused of having a relationship with, but they both say that it kind of happened after Ron died. So convenient, maybe, truthful, maybe, don't know. We'll just leave that there. Um, Was
1: he still married?
0: I don't think so. I'm not sure. Um, So this, this, the fact that they actually went into a relationship, either that or they just were more on show now that Ron was dead, um, this pissed the letter off, writer off to no end. The letter writer just kind of does his nana and gets starts sending Mary death threats letters and all this it goes up and notch completely. So I guess it's possible a relationship formed later because this was all like six years after Ron's death. so you know it wasn't just a couple of months after Ron died, it was six years later. Either that or they just were in a long-term relationship that involved cheating right at the start who knows the letter writer was livid with mary and not only was she getting these letters signs started getting put up all over circleville accusing her of adultery and calling her horrible names on february 7th 1983 mary was drinking the school bus uh, sorry drinking i've got drinking on my mind now on you've been alcohol i've been alcohol i know i know alcohol On February 7th, 1983, Mary was driving the school bus route when she came to an intersection and she saw a sign that was saying obscene things about her 13-year-old daughter. She's like, oh hell no, and she gets to go, she gets down and she goes out of the bus to go and pull it down. Just as she's about to pull it down, she notices some twine around it and she traces this twine back to a box. She thinks this is weird and opens the box up and finds a gun ready to go off. So the sign had been booby-trapped to presumably kill her when she went to pull it down. So we've gone next level now. Police are called. We've got the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation getting involved. Shit's just gotten serious all of a sudden, right? So yeah, the OBI,
1: not the FBI.
0: Yeah, OBI. Um. So what are your thoughts on this? Like, this is next level, right? Someone's been holding a grudge for a really long time.
1: It's like Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Uh, to How me, you booby trap? To, for a gun to go off, right? Like, How is it like? Yeah, the mechanics of it. it, it you'd have to put, ha, where's the gun? I'm assuming the gun is pointing, the barrel is pointing upwards. Yeah. So when she opens the box and she's looking in the box. It's going to shoot her. Well, no, you when she do takes that? the sign down, it's supposed to shoot her.
0: She could quite easily open the box and it was fine. So, yeah, I don't know. Whoever did it wasn't great at booby traps, let's just say that. So obviously this person's got some serious mental health issues. Um, they are obsessed with Mary, obviously. But now they want her dead as well. I mean, it's very creepy. So this is where things get really weird, as if they weren't weird enough to start with. The cops have some hard evidence now because they've actually got a physical booby trap that they can take fingerprints and look at gun serial numbers and that sort of thing. They find the serial number. Someone had tried to rub it off but had not been very successful in doing so, so you could still read it. They trace the gun back to Paul Fresher, which is Ron and Mary's brother-in-law. Remember one of the people that they told about it back when it first started happening? Um, the one that wrote the piss-off letter to David. So this is an interesting development. This sort of links in family members and what have you. This, so police go to talk to Paul. And he says, yep, that's my gun, but somebody stole it from me a while ago, so don't know what's going on. They then went to compare his handwriting to the letter writer, but instead of getting just a random sample of his writing to compare, they gave him one of the letters and had him copy it. I mean, come on, people, right, think about it, you know. So he, they give him a letter and they say, copy this. So he copies it, even like the style of the letters. So, of course, this leads to a match, right? Because he's copied exactly what he's been given. So they start to like him for being the letter writer. They discover that he's been recently separated from Ron's sister and they speak to her and she's like, oh, hell yeah, he's the letter writer. So Paul insists that he's got nothing to do with it, but he still is arrested for attempted murder and ends up being convicted and goes to jail for it. So I don't know, what do you think about Paul? I mean, all they've really got is a gun with a serial number registered to him and then handwriting which is really tainted because it was produced like it wasn't something that was like an organic comparison of what his handwriting actually is
1: like. So I don't know. You can't go, we want to take a handwriting sample of your handwriting and then give them the piece of paper even you can't even I don't even feel like you can ask someone to write something for a sample match yeah Yeah. I feel like you have to literally get a document that they have written previously because they're going to be no they're going to know what you're looking for
0: yeah I know and I know that like if you were the person that wrote the letters and someone says write something down for me like usually you'd be like you wouldn't write the way that you usually write. You'd be like, oh, my mm. God, what if, what if it matches? I've got to write a little bit different or whatever. But this guy <laughs> just copies yeah. it outright. Like, he just, yeah. I don't know, what was he thinking? So, so yeah, Maybe I don't if know. I don't
1: think it was me because my handwriting changes every day.
0: So, yeah, so Paul's in jail. Uh, he has been convicted of attempting to kill her. So, yeah, what do, you, what do you think about Paul? I mean, it's a bit random and out of left field. I guess the thing that sort of connects it for me is that he was one of the original people that had been told about the letters but other than that I can't really I mean guns go missing serial number did attempt to get filed off so potentially that sort of suggests that maybe it was him doing it I don't know what do you think about
1: Paul? I know that guns I mean it was the 70s so it's probably like eh willy-nilly things go missing a lot like Mm. and they don't think anything of it like, these days, I think, if they were, um, if a gun was to go missing, you'd probably report it straight away. Mm. Um, the fact that he tried to file the the numbers filed off, means it's either him or someone. Connected to him, yeah. Connected to him. Yeah. It is strange that it was his gun, of all guns, like, mm. so somehow yeah, has- someone has to be involved.
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't rub off a serial number unless the gun can be connected back to you, right? I think it's probably reasonable to suspect him after all that. I don't know if it's enough to convict him, though. And, you know, maybe there was more compelling stuff that we just don't know about, but it seems a little bit flimsy to put someone behind bars on. I I just feel like the investigation maybe could have been done a little bit better anyway. Yeah. So Paul spends 10 years behind bars, claims his innocence the entire time, and then something really interesting happens. For that whole 10 years that he's in jail, the letters continued. He even got one himself that said, Now when now when are you going to believe you aren't going to get out of there? I told you two years ago when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? So there's still letters getting sent out and stuff. And you know, the jail. They cotton on this pretty quickly. So they make sure that he's got no access to writing materials. Um, and, you know, some letters were even sent while he was in solitary. So they put him in solitary just in case. And letters were still getting sent at the time. So he had definitely had no access to the post at the time that he was in jail. So that makes things a little bit more interesting, I think. Now, Paul was released in 1994 and has been very vocal in proclaiming his innocence. even had a website he even has a website dedicated to finding the truth in this case so he has continued to try and seek justice and truth after everything which is quite often a sign that perhaps you know he's not although he's already gone to jail for it so it's not like he can get charged twice now he passed away in 2012 so we can't you know nobody's questioned him recently or anything but to me, maybe is it possible that Paul's wife, Karen, may have been involved and actually tried to end up getting him framed? This We do know that they were going through a nasty divorce at the time and she had access to his, gum, his gun. He got custody of the kids after they divorced because she lived in a trailer. on. She actually lived on Mary's property at the time. And so she, it was quite a bitter divorce. So maybe she stitched him up. I feel like that could be a possibility.
1: Pretty big stitch up.
0: Pretty big stitch up. Pretty extreme thing to do um, given you potentially could have killed your sister-in-law for starters if, you know, mm. your booby trap had gone off properly. So, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about Karen for a suspect? I feel like there's a possibility there.
1: Yeah, I still think it's a lot of overkill for a divorce. It is overkill,
0: but people have, you know, overkilled for less than that yeah, before.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that we need to put a pin in Karen. Yeah. So who else could it have been if not these two? Could it have been David Longberry, the bus driver that was obsessed with Mary? Well, I feel at the very least he should have been looked at considering it was him and his, well, let's just say, potential affair that he may have been having with Mary at the time that started it all. So, you know, Why didn't the police look at him a little bit closer? Maybe they did. I'm not entirely sure. He actually ended up raping an 11-year-old girl in 1999 and then took his own life whilst he was on the run. So not a very nice end to everything there. No. Which really isn't connected to the whole letter writing situation but kind of shows some unhinged behaviour,
1: shall we say? Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: Nothing really solidly shows that he's the writer, though. Like I said, those two things aren't really connected to one another. There's also been a theory that Mary herself was the writer of the letters. People point to the fact that Mary knew just which sign to pull over for. So there were apparently signs all over the town that said all sorts of things. Um, And it was just this one that happened to have a booby trap on it that she pulled over to pull down. It does. Now, the sign did sort of go further than... Uh, just talking about Mary, it actually mentioned her daughter. So maybe that was why she stopped at that one because she's like, all right, you can take the piss out of me, but do not say anything about my daughter. Um, Added incentive to go take it down. You know, I don't know that a mother would put shameful rumours about her daughter up on signs either. To to me that sounds like, you know, a bit of a stretch as well. Maybe
1: you've are deranged.
0: Well, yeah, we don't know how unwell these people were, do we? Yeah. And as for noticing the trap before it was set off, well, I mean, it looked pretty shonky, so maybe it was just obvious. I mean, it said something about there being a bit of twine coming out of a box. So, Mm. you know, if you were an observant person, maybe you would notice that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's been a few shows that have looked into this case, including Unsolved Mysteries in 1993. Prior to arriving to film the episode, the producers received a postcard from the writer It said, forget Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, you El Sicos will pay, signed the Circleville writer. Unsolved Mysteries still shot and aired the episode, though. And strangely, no more letters were ever sent after that. So it's like that episode kind of stopped everything. So it was 1994 at this point. The show, 48 Hours, aired an episode about this case in 2021 and claimed that they had solved it. They had a document examiner, Beverly East, have a look at the letters and she claimed that she could match the writing to Paul Fresher which is the guy that went to jail for it. Yeah. There was very quick backlash, though, about this. Um, and a former FBI profiler, Mary O'Toole, came out and was like, actually, there isn't anything that definitively says that Paul's the writer. I don't know what she's talking about. Mm. And actually it is impossible because literally hundreds of letters were sent while Paul was in prison. So I just don't even know how 48 Hours could even put that show out there because it's obviously rubbish. Now, Mary O'Toole, the FBI profiler, analysed the letters herself and said that in fact there was nothing to suggest that it was Paul at all. She believes that the letters were written by a female and that whoever it was was not very well educated. And Paul had a master's degree, so that kind of rules him out there too. Uh, Now, while Paul was already in jail, another bus driver, another colleague of Mary's, came forward and said that she was doing the same route 20 minutes before Mary, and she saw a man with blonde hair standing by the booby trap sign with a yellow El Camino next to him. Now, Paul has dark hair, so wasn't the guy but Karen was dating a blonde guy at the time and her brother drove an El Camino. So Karen was the sister-in-law. The police did not follow up on this tip for whatever reason, I'm not sure. So that was interesting. That's a potential link to Karen. So was it just like a bit of divorce thing? Why would she focus so much on Marion? and David like I, there are so many questions I have in this in this
1: story I don't know what are your thoughts I don't know like she could have got other people in trouble well she did someone if it was her someone's dead yeah and someone yeah. else could have been dead I just I can see to get back at your husband
0: yeah that's it And but she was still with him when she started writing the letters or was it sort of two mutually exclusive things that just kind of blended into one. She started off just sending letters to everyone in the town for shits and gigs, you know, <laughs> like just because yeah. she wanted to stir shit around town. Maybe she didn't like her sister-in-law, so she started to make up bullshit about her having an affair with this other bus driver just to sort of get her in trouble or something like that. But then the divorce happened and things just got further and, I, yeah, I don't know, like maybe something just started out as something you know mischievous and stupid and became something a lot more sinister I don't know Mm. the booby trap was potentially you know I think Karen was likely behind it but only as a way to get back at Paul after the divorce like you know she's already got this situation going on by which she's sort of torturing her her sister-in-law but she kind of uses that to try and get back at him to try and frame him at the same time. She kind of makes yeah, it maybe
1: that's life. more likely I can't see someone killing someone and then, well, yeah, I just can't see someone killing someone to get back at their husband.
0: Yeah, well, I suppose like we said, divorces can be bitter,
1: yeah, but
0: yeah, it's all just so bizarre. I mean we we do have the gun being accessible by her. A man present yeah. matched her boyfriend at the time. And, you know, just the general nastiness of the custody dispute and everything as well. So, I mean, maybe she figured that she'd get her kids back if he was in jail. You know, maybe it was more of a custody thing than anything. Mm. Also the fact that Paul got sole custody of the kids says a lot. I don't think courts really like to do that unless there's something really wrong with what's going on with the mother's living situation. That's Um, Yeah, I mean, usually, especially back then, Of course, definitely more geared towards the mother than anything, right?
1: Yeah, that's very strange.
0: But, yeah, I mean, it was clearly someone who was well-connected who was sending the letters in the first instance anyway because they clearly knew a lot about everyone's business.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The hundreds of letters outed so many people in so many different ways. There was things like affairs, addictions, pornography. Even the finger was pointed at Dr Ray Carroll, who actually did Juan's autopsy as being a pedophile. So accusations were being levelled all over the place from these letters. And apparently some of them ended up being true. So, you know, and he, that ended up being true and he was actually charged and went to jail for pedophilia. So, you know, we, I think we need to look to who would have had all this information. I wonder what sort of job Karen had, if she had one at all. You know, how would someone know about everything that's happening in the town to write those letters? Yeah. I think you also need to have a look at who died around the time that the letters stopped. It's interesting that the writers seemed to be so focused on Mary at the start, though. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like she was the ultimate target at the start and everything else was just like sort of collateral in the end until she had a bigger fish to fry and that was her ex-husband. So, yeah, I don't know. Interesting, very, very interesting. I feel like looking at the DNA from the letters would be a good idea at this point, um, but yeah. as, because DNA wasn't a thing back in the seventies and eighties, oh. so nobody would have thought about not licking an envelope and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But as we see with these cases, as far as law enforcement is concerned, it's solved. The guy went to jail for ten years. Yeah, so why would we yeah. look at it? You know, so yeah. it's, uh, not anything that's ever going to happen. So, so yeah. Final thoughts on the of letters.
1: I've got nothing for this one.
0: Yeah, it's uh, very, very strange. I tend to feel like this was Karen just being a bit of a shit stirrer.
1: Being a Karen.
0: Being Karen. Karen living up to her name. um, For some reason having some sort of vendetta against her Mm. sister-in-law. And then it just snowballing from there, really. And a divorce happened and she wanted to get back at him. So she thought, I've already got this scenario that I've created. Why not just keep on rolling with it, you know? Mm, Hmm. Yeah, so, but yeah, scary anyway. Scary for the people that lived in Circleville,
1: for sure. Yeah, very strange. Can
0: you imagine when it all first happened? If you had skeletons in your closet, you'd be like, shit, I've got to move out of here before somebody writes a <laughs> about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, stuff's going to start coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> so, anyway, everyone let us know what you think. What do you think about the Circleville letters? Was it Karen or was it somebody else? Mm. And let us know what you think. we'll see you guys next week. Bye.
1: Bye.